Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we'd like to end our time with a chaser. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to contact us by email or social media. You can find our contact info in the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to support us through Patreon, you can find us there at Brutal, Bazaar, and Boozy Podcast, or use the link in our show notes. Hey, podcast lovers. My name is Haley, and I run the Doe Identify Podcast. I have been passionate about helping the unidentified get their names back ever since I found out I lived within miles of where Sherry Ann Jarvis, formerly known as the Walker County Jane Doe, was found. In my podcast, I tell the stories and provide information about unidentified people in hopes of reaching their loved ones and getting their names back. So come join me and help me advocate for these people. You never know, you could recognize someone's story. Ma, what story do you have for us today? I am going to be telling you about the Dozier School for Boys. It's also known as the Florida School for Boys. And there's a lot of brutal stuff. Now, it's really brutal, but I'm going to be talking. I'm going to give you the history, which is brutal. But then we're going to talk about the bizarre part of it. Like a Paveglia? Kind of, yeah. I mean, there's... Well... It's haunted because there's bad shit that happened there, just like most things that are haunted. Bad shit happened there. Well, I'm going to just say this right now. If you have a weak stomach or don't like really messed up shit, I would click off this episode. I wouldn't listen to it. Yeah, this... my story... Is also very, very gross. Your story is the grossest. I should say it's your story. It's not my story. You. So just to let everyone know, I asked my mom to do this research because I didn't want to do it. And then she decided that it was so fucked up that she wasn't able to say it out loud. So I'm I going couldn't... to be reading my the script my mom wrote. But. Yeah. So if you're wondering why my story sounds so complete and put together and not as dumb as usual, <laughs> it's because my mom wrote it. So your story is dumb. <laughs> it it just it's such a gross, gross story that I mean I've heard it, other podcasts have covered it, and I just when I was doing the research, I was trying to I was gonna make it very minimal and a few people that I mentioned it to you included said, no, we need to cover the I details of it. To, yeah. And, and I went, okay, well then I'm not reading it because I can't, I will cry I'll or throw it. up okay. or both. So it's that <laughs> bad. And, and everyone listening, we want you to listen, but if you have a weak stomach, definitely skip over Declan's story which will be the first story. Mine, I don't go into graphic detail, but bad stuff happened at my story too. So, if you didn't like the Isaiah Sagawa one, you definitely won't like this one. So, no, 
this is this is yeah. way worse I didn't than like the, the details. Isagawa, so this is gonna be. No. Real. I haven't read the full script yet, so it's gonna be a surprise for all of us. Okay, uh, when then... you read it, don't <laughs> throw up. I hope you have a trash can nearby. I Ooh. I don't, but I don't know if I'm okay. Oh, we'll just we'll figure it out along the okay. way. Okay. So I'd also like to say this is a long intro, but I'd yes, also like to say I fucked up my drink schedule and this drink was meant to go with last week's story with Mac Dre. But uh we kind of ran out of time and I didn't have the ingredients to make a different drink. So I'm just going to use last week's drink that I had planned for this week. So Oops. hopefully you guys like it. But it is the gin and juice, which is traditionally made with uh, Hendrix gin, oh, which is okay. eight, $8 a bottle and orange juice. Really? But okay, I used Hendrix gin and I went with my preferred juice which is ocean spray cran mango right it know. is juice it doesn't specify it is juice. how much do you think is there did you find like a recipe that had like the measurements on it no, no i, I just, couldn't find that either i just made it up in my head i did I probably it. two ounces of gin to four ounces of juice give or take okay all right yeah. i've never no, had no, gin and juice just gin and juice so i did orange which, juice in mine Goes perfectly with Mac Dre because he was a Vallejo rapper and rapped with Snoop Dogg a couple of times. So, right. Oh, gin okay. And juice. Here we yeah. go. Gin and Juice is a Snoop Dogg song for everyone who doesn't know, but let's try it. I don't. I don't know that it's a good combination with the orange juice. Did you use OJ? Mm. I used orange juice. I mean, they're both floral esque. I mean, it's. Not a great drink. It's just gin and orange juice. I wouldn't. But I wouldn't order that. It would have been a better drink for last week's episode, but I was yes. just too easy to find another drink and go. It would have tied in better. So, yeah. however, you could say that Mac Dre was from Vallejo, which is close to Sacramento, and your story is out of Sacramento. True. So we'll and just link it that way. If we want to tie rap into it, there's a lot of famous rappers from Sacramento. So, right. Whatever. It's got a loose connection okay. at, at best, but let's get into this okay. really gross. For anyone story. who doesn't want to listen to this gross story, which is the vampire of Sacramento, skip forward. Just, yeah, skip ahead. So, Richard Chase was born in Sacramento, California on May 23, 1950. He grew up in a strict household and suffered uh, physical abuse as a child from his father. He was the oldest of two children with a younger sister. As a teen, he started abusing alcohol and developed a fascination with killing and mutilating animals, which is a very common theme in a lot of our stories. Right. He also enjoyed setting fires. 
which a lot of also serial killers do, apparently. For serial yep. killers, yeah. What the During fuck? high school, he tried to... During high school, he had a few girlfriends, but the relationship didn't physically progress. This was possibly due to his inability to become or maintain sexual interest without the presence of violence, which right off the bat is weird. Yeah. In high school, you need violence. In high school. Ugh. Yeah. 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 Cool. When he consulted a, a psychiatrist about his inability to maintain sexual arousal, he was told it was due to repressed anger issues and that he possibly had a mental health disorder. I don't think it's possibly. I think it's definitely. Yeah. But a hundred percent. Yes. She didn't want to end up as like a a therapist on Hulu. You know what I'm talking about? Probably. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that movie with uh, Steve yes. Carell. Or yep. the show, yeah. Everyone the should show. watch that. We already the did patient. That. Was the patient. The patient, right? yeah. I think it was yeah. the patient. The patient yeah. is the name. It, it sounds like this guy could have definitely done that, but oh, oh for sure. <sighs> he had some unusual benefit. Uh, sorry, he had some unusual beliefs about his health and fixation with blood. These would eventually lead to his nickname as the Vampire of Sacramento. But the details of that will come later. After high school, he eventually moved in with some roommates who reported that he had a heavy drug habit. He claimed that people were invading his space from inside his closet door once. He uh, nailed it closed later. In his 20s, he was institutionalized a couple of times in a psychiatric facility. He was later diagnosed with schizophrenia. Which, again, matches the profile of a lot of the stories we've told. Right. Chase believed it would be uh, healthy to inject rabbit blood into his veins, which led him to getting blood poisoning and event- <laughs> uh, and being involuntarily committed into a psychiatric hospital. That's fucking gross. Holy shit. So gross. I mean... Oh. God. I'm not injecting anything into my veins, but I'm definitely not doing rabbit blood. No. Oh, it's so yuck. And this isn't even the gross part yet. No, it's not. While in this facility, he caught two birds, broke the necks, and drank their blood. So yeah, this guy really liked drinking blood, apparently. He was obsessed with blood. Obsessed with it. He also used stolen syringes to take blood from therapy jobs. Oh, heart. oh God, there hang on. Not. I'm going to reread that, but I'm going to keep this in because that, that was, I, oh. it was such a bad sentence that I fumbled it. So he used stolen syringes to take blood from therapy dogs at this institution, and the staff nicknamed him Dracula. Oh. Yeah. Some Ew. of his other complaints, including being sought after by a Nazi came's, uh, crime syndicate since he was in high school. He believed that his mother was poisoning him after he hired the Nazis. Ooh. He complained that someone had stolen his pulmonary artery and that his blood was turning into powder. <laughs> he was obsessed with blood. Yeah. 
After undergoing treatment, including psychotropic medications, he was released into the care of his parents. His mother didn't believe that Chase needed to be on medication, so she took him off of it. Yeah. His interest in abusing animals continued, and he repeatedly captured and mutilated animals, including his neighbor's pets. It's so Mm. fucked up. Yes. He would remove the internal organs and make them into smoothies. What? No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He did as an effort to save his own life because he believed his heart would shrink and he would die without drinking these smoothies. Never going to look at a smoothie the same way. Yeah, no, I'm... Oh, I gotta make a smoothie later tonight. That's not good. <laughs> We're gonna call it something else. It's gonna have a new name. It's not yeah. smoothies anymore. Another interest of Chase's was firearms, and he soon began collecting guns and trading with them. He was fascinated by the Hillside Strangler, a serial killer who was active in 1977 and 78, but was later discovered to be two men acting together. Chase believed that he and the Hillside Strangler were both victims of Nazi UFO conspiracies. Shout out to two weeks ago when we talked about Nazi UFOs. That's right. By 1977, about a year after being released from the psychiatric hospital, Chase's delusions and actions were escalated. His mental illness was escalating. Uh, His self-care was declining. He lost a lot of weight by not eating and stopped bathing and brushing his teeth. On one occasion, he went to his parents' home. When his mother answered the door, he pushed a dead cat in her face and ripped the belly of the cat open and smeared blood on his face while he screamed? Ew! Yep. Yep. What the fuck? Her response was to close the door and not report the incident to anyone. What? Yeah. But he didn't need to be on psychological medication. She took him off of that. Oh, my. This is crazy. I know. A few months later, police found his vehicle stuck in a sand drift near Pyramid Lake, Nevada. Inside the vehicle were a few firearms, pile of clothes, and a bucket of blood and cow's livers. Not too far away, police found Chase in the sand. He was screaming and covered in blood, which he claimed was his own blood and had leaked out through his skin. By the end of December 1977, Chase's behavior was ramping up even more. He shot a 22 handgun into the house of a woman in Sacramento. No one was injured, but the bullet was found in the woman's house. Two days later, Chase killed his first known human victim in a drive-by shooting. The victim was Ambrose Griffin, a 51-year-old married man uh, and a father of two children. He was helping his wife bring in the groceries when Chase shot him. Police were able to determine that the same gun was used and uh, used to murder Ambrose as was used to shoot into the woman's house two days prior. About two weeks after killing Ambrose, Chase forcibly restrained a neighbor until she gave him an entire pack of cigarettes. Which is just a fucking stupid reason to rob somebody. 
Right. For a pack of cigarettes. That's dumb as hell. A month later, after the first murder, Chase was looking for another victim. While walking, he came across an old classmate named Nancy Holden. He asked her for a ride, but she was scared off by Chase's appearance. He went to a home and tried to rob the door, but found that it was locked. In his mind, if the door was locked, he was not welcome, but if the door was unlocked, he was welcome to come inside. Which is just a a different version of what vampires really have. Vampires need to be invited inside. That's a good point. I mean, That is a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. It was a little weird, but I mean, I could... If he believes that he's an actual vampire, then maybe that would make sense in his mind. Yeah. I don't know if he actually thought he was a vampire or if that was just his nickname because of just all of the blood shit someone that gave did. him. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but it does definitely correlate. Yeah. Since the door was locked, he walked away and found another house to enter. And if Carter's listening to this, uh, this is why I lock my door, you dummy. He always makes fun <laughs> of me to lock my door when he comes over. And I'm like, I don't want now you know a why. Sacramento vampire to come into That's my house. That's right. No That's right. He's going to drink my blood and do weird right? shit to me when I'm dead. This was the home of the young family who happened to be gone when Chase arrived. Finding the door unlocked, he entered the home, stole some belongings, and then went to the bathroom in a child's dresser. And then onto the child's bed. That's gross. Did he pee, piss on it or something? Um, I believe it was that he peed in the dresser on the clothes, and then he took a number two on the bed. Oh, God. Amber Heard style. Right. Okay. Yeah. The family came home while Chase was still inside, and the husband attacked him. However, Chase was able to escape. Not done with his crimes for the day, he kept trying to enter various homes. One of those homes belonged to David and Teresa Wallen. David was at David was at work and Teresa was at home alone. The door was unlocked. Chase found Teresa inside preparing to take the trash out. He shot her three times and killed her with the same gun that he used to kill Ambrose, the first murder victim. Teresa was three months pregnant. He wasn't satisfied enough to just kill her. He also raped her. Oh, God. Hang on, I'm going to read to that. Mm -hmm. He wasn't satisfied enough to just kill her. He also raped her after her death and stabbed her multiple times, as well as cutting off one of her nipples. Oh, God. The assault on her body continued as he cut her open, removed some of the organs, and collected her blood into a bucket, which he used to bathe in in the bathroom. No, no shit you didn't want to read this. This is disgusting. I told you. I told you. I didn't know it was that bad. I, As I it, told you it was bad. I know, but I... Oh, I was thinking this was going to be on, like, Albert Fish level. This is, like, someone who needs to be shot immediately level. It's really bad. So is Albert Fish. Yeah. It's bad. As As if it weren't enough, he drank some of the blood and then found dog feces in the yard, which he placed on her body. 
in. The FBI was in her body. Got on. Yeah. The FBI was consulted after Teresa's death and a general profile was given. They believed the killer would be a tall, malnourished loner with poor physical hygiene and that he would not stop killing after Teresa. Chase continued with his animal mutilations also. Two days after killing Teresa, he killed two puppies that he had gotten from his neighbor for the purpose of drinking their blood. He left the bodies of the puppies at the neighbor's house. A month later, after killing his first victim, about a week later after killing Teresa, he went hunting again. This time, it was a mass murder, though, with four victims. Evelyn Maroth was home with her six-year-old son, Jason, her 22-month-old nephew, David, and her neighbor, Dan. Chase entered the home with, while Evelyn was in the bath. He shot Dan in the head at close range, using the same gun that he had killed the other victims with. Which I just gotta say, using a twenty-two handgun is a really weird murder weapon. Uh, he robbed bullets, Dan's corpse yeah. of his wallet and car keys. Chase then shot 22-month-old David in the head. Scared by what was happening, Jason ran to his mom's bedroom where Chase caught him. He killed six-year-old Jason by shooting him in the head twice. Chase then went to the bathroom where he found Evelyn. He shot her in the head as well, killing her. He removed her body from the bathtub and placed it on the bed where he sodomized her, as well as drinking her blood from the cuts made on the back of her neck. He then stabbed her numerous times, which caused blood to pool in her abdomen. He cut her open and drained the blood so he could drink it. Continuing with his grotesque behavior, he retrieved the body of Evelyn's nephew, David. Chase opened David's skull so he could eat some of the brains. When the neighbor girl knocked on the door, Chase fled the residence in Dan's vehicle, taking David's body with him. I told you it was bad, and it gets worse. <laughs> he left both handprints and footprints in the house in Evelyn's blood. Chase went home where he further described. Uh, sorry, Chase went home where he further desecrated David's body by cutting off the penis and using it as a straw to drink David's blood. Okay. And if you he haven't thrown up several, yet, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't. If you're still listening at this point, bravo to you. What the? Uh, this is. I don't even want to yeah, read this anymore, but I'm I still know. gonna do it. <sighs> he removed several of David's organs to make smoothies. Then he left David's body at a nearby church, but it wasn't discovered for nearly two months. Yeah. What the fuck? The neighbor who scared Chase off told another neighbor who found the gory scene and reported it to the... Oh, could you imagine being the person that... Walking into that house? No. I mean, it's... if you're police, then, like, it's different. But this is, like, a civilian who walked in and found it. That's... Right. 
Yeah. It's it's the grossest story that I think I've ever read, researched. I can't believe I've heard never heard anything. this. Like, I found this while just looking up cannibals for Thanksgiving yeah. episodes. But well, like, he was this definitely is... a cannibal. And this this being the grossest one I've ever seen, this is why we waited a little bit. Yeah, that we should have done something else. My bad. Sorry. I told my you. Suggestion. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, mom. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know it was gonna be like this. Oh. Um. After the mass murder at Evelyn's house, the former classmate of Chase that was scared off by his appearance, Nancy Holden, reported that she had uh, thought he fit the pref the. Uh, after the mass murder at Evelyn's house, the former classmate of Chase that was scared off by his appearance, Nancy Holden, reported that she had thought he fit the profile description given by the FBI. In their investigation of Chase, police discovered that he owned a 22 handgun like the one used in all of the murders. He was arrested, leaving his house wearing blood-stained clothing, carrying a bloody box that contained blood-soaked rags and paper. Lots of blood everywhere. Yep. Uh, Dan Meredith's wallet had been in his pocket when he was carrying the 22 handgun that was linked to all of the murders. Upon searching his home, police found both animal and human body parts, including some of Evelyn's and Teresa's organs and David's brain matter. They were eating and drinking utensils covered in blood as well as the blender he was making the smoothies in. Police also found calendar with the word today written on the dates of Teresa and Wallen's murder and the mass murder of Evelyn's house. Today was also written on 44 other days coming up that year. Could you imagine? Chased a trial. Yeah, that. Oh, that's terrifying. I'm glad they caught him in, when they did. No like, hitting. They should have caught him faster, but oh. I mean, you can't really. Right. <laughs> Yeah. His defense team used his history of mental illness, arguing that his crimes. Could you imagine being the defense lawyer for a guy like that? Nope. nope. Holy shit. Nope. That's really disgusting. Yeah. I, I'm surprised he didn't have like. I'm surprised any lawyer picked that up. I wouldn't. Well, public defenders have to do what they're told. I'm not, and there's no way yeah, somebody's true. paying for an attorney. He, he, it had to, I'm imagining it was a public defender and they said, Hey, we got a case for you and you have to handle it. And unless you can think of a good reason why you can't represent this person, you know, some conflict of interest, you have to do your job and you have to do as best as you can. I would have lied about conflict of interest. I would have been like, no, oh, sorry. Uh, me too. I would have been like, um, I <laughs> I knew this guy. We went to like church together one day. I would yeah. have thought of something. Yeah. So his defense team used his history of mental illness, arguing that his crimes were not premeditated and should not be considered a lesser offense of murder two instead of murder one. This would allow him life in prison instead of the death penalty if convicted. He was evaluated by numerous psychiatrists and deemed legally sane. In at least one mental health evaluation, he worried that his victims might come for him in the afterlife. 
it was noted that he didn't seem to feel a compulsion to commit his crimes, but committed them for therapeutic purposes. That, uh, I don't like that See, term. I don't understand how they're, I mean, I'm glad that they labeled him sane, but I don't know how they could have. Just... Because although it wasn't premeditated, he didn't he didn't target these particular people and particular homes, but his ideals of why he did it are not sane. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I mean, I think this is 100% premeditated. No, I just don't think it, he mattered or I don't think he cared what house the he victim paid. mattered. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was 100% premeditated, but he just didn't, have a victim in mind because if he's going right. out specifically to do That's this true. and like yeah he's done it before then it would yeah prove to be that he's premeditated if i mean carrying a 22 handgun everywhere like yeah i don't know oh i don't, I don't like know. it it's gross uh throughout each crime his thoughts seem to be uh, interrupted and he was aware what he was doing something wrong so I'm going to redo that right wrong. throughout each crime his thoughts seemed to be uninterrupted and he was aware he was doing something wrong five months after the trial began Chase was found guilty on all six counts of murder in the first degree and he was sentenced to death Chase spent the next year and a half in prison reportedly being feared by other inmates they knew what gruesome things he had done, and they wanted nothing to do with him. Apparently, several of them suggested that he should take his own life. On December 26, 1980, Chase was found dead in his cell. It was determined that he had overdosed on prescribed psych psychiatric medication that he, was that he was given and hoarding for several weeks. Yeah. I'm sad that some prisoner didn't beat him to death with a lock and a sock like Whitey Bulger. Uh, I'm guessing that the other inmates didn't want to get close enough to him to do that. I, I And he's on death row, so it's not like he's in Gen Pop or something. You know, true. Death, I, I don't yeah. know how that works, but... wouldn't have made it past the first couple no, weeks. No, probably not. Yeah. It was probably I, such an intense case that they wouldn't have put him on Gen Pop any, either way oh, if he I wasn't would, on death yeah. row. I don't know how that works, but he's not alive yeah, anymore. That was horrible. Holy shit. I told you. I warned you I, I multiple you times. I, I thought I could handle it. I've Because I grew up in the generation of like seeing people die on instagram reels like yeah well i thought i thought i could handle it but that was seriously fucked up it was fucked up it was so gross Ugh. yeah that was and disgusting. now you know why sorry know. everyone now are we ready I for my I... terrible yeah, yes, we I am ready, but I think you should put like in the description of this podcast, like when you're making it, put like yeah. what time to skip to. Cause Okay. Well you need to 
Well, I'll figure that out. It'll be around 33 minutes. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out when, well, it'll be different because of all of the, the intros and music and ads and stuff. So I'll skip forward yeah. before I post I'll, it. I'll text you when, time. yeah, I'll text you when. Ugh. okay. Agreed. I told you content warning. Yeah. It was necessary. It was bad. So my story, not as bad as that one. Because I didn't go into graphic detail. I mean, there's some bad things that happened, and I do talk a little bit about it. So, I actually found this story. Um, from one of our chaser recommendations that the one that you mentioned a couple weeks ago, that was the armchair expert pod. Um, and specifically the episode was about a doctor. Oh, I'm going to have to, let me go look up. Kimberly is her first name. She's a doctor at the university of South Florida. I think it is. Um, she was talking about being involved in this um, excavation of this site. Um, and so I was like listening to her tell stories about it and talk about the history of it. And I went, oh, this place for sure is haunted. And when I looked it up, yes, there are reports of it being haunted. It is so, indeed haunted. Okay. Yes. Um, so it's the Florida School for Boys which was also known as the Arthur G. Dozier School for Boys. And it was a reform school in Florida um, that was for young, I say young men, but it was for boys. Um, it was operated for 111 years, which is shocking to me that anything was in operation for that period of time. It opened in 1900 and it was closed in 2011, which when I talk about the details, just the fact that anything in operation for 111 years is pretty incredible. But then when you find out the history of it, it's like, holy shit. Hmm. So for a while in the mid 1900s, it was the largest juvenile reform institution in the United States with two locations. One facility, the original one was in Mariana, Florida, and the second one that was opened was in Okeechobee, Florida. Unfortunately, it was also the location of terrible atrocities that were underreported or worse, often ignored. It gained a reputation for beatings, rapes, torture, abuse, and murder, typically done by the staff against, who was housed there? Children. I will remind you, children were housed there. In 2009, the state governor ordered a full investigation of the school after it failed a state investigation. Although I don't know what that investigation was, they failed it. I couldn't really find any details on what was failed but they failed it. And then the governor said, Ooh, we really should look into this more. 
So independent investigations were uh, conducted by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice. The allegations of abuse were confirmed by these investigations. Did we freeze? Are you there? No. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I thought we I'm just mentally ruined after reading this. Recovering story. after that? Yeah. I know. It's terrible. Um, the original location was approximately 1,400 acres with an open campus and no perimeter fence. However, over the decades, the size of the campus got smaller and there was an exterior fence that was placed. The number of boys in the facility changed drastically over its time of operation as well. Sometimes there would be about 100 boys, while other times uh, it was drastically overcrowded with close to 600 boys there. Holy shit. Yeah. 100 and they, is a lot less than 600. <laughs> right. Yeah. They ranged in age from 10 to 21. Although I did see one report that said there was a nine-year-old that was uh, 21 is to not stay a there. boy. Agreed. Um, I oh. thought that was <laughs> odd that they were 21-year-olds, but that was what I saw a couple of places. So, And the boys were incarcerated by court order, and they would often stay there for up to a year. Although my guess is that that was a little variable too, and that they might not even, they might have stayed there longer than a year. In the early and mid 1900s, the offenses that would lead to their placement at the reform school were completely varied and often just minor offenses. Some children were placed here for school truancy. Like, oh, you skipped school. Could you imagine when you were in high school and you skipped school all those times that you mm -hmm. got sent to a place like this, that would be I mean, really freaking shitty. You kind of made it seem like that. <laughs> oh no, you're just wait. They threatened that a couple of times and they threatened the school threatened to come after us yeah. for you not and going you to went, school. And I was like, like yeah, oh, I no. said, knock it off. Um, some kids were sent there for smoking cigarettes and running away from home. So it's not like they were, you know. Doing kid shit. Right. However, in later years, boys were sent there for more serious crimes like rape and abuse of other children and things like that. So yeah, the, it wasn't just minor Those two things offenses. are very different. They need to yes. have different areas for offenses like that. A hundred percent agreed. You don't put, I mean, I don't know what the it's answer like, um, is, but sending like someone a to a reform a camp. Yeah. You don't send a rapist to prison with somebody who cut school. Those are not the same yeah. level of crimes, and there should have been no. some accounting for that. For many decades, it was divided. <clears throat> for many decades, it was divided into two sections that were racially segregated until 1966. There was a cemetery located on the north side of the campus. It was called Boot Hill Cemetery. Throughout its operation, the school had been investigated by different agencies often after reports of abuse had surfaced. Investigations found that children were often kept in leg irons, hogtied, 
left in isolation for extended periods of times, and had been victims of sexual assault by both guards and other inmates. If a boy committed Jesus a crime Christ. at the school, yeah. Now imagine committing a crime at the school and getting placed into a county jail. And those kids often mentioned that it was common for the guards at the jail to finish to physically punish them by hanging them using handcuffs by the bars in their cells. Jesus. So they would handcuff them and then hang them up from the bars. And according to the guards that did this, this activity was known and approved by their supervisors. Which I don't, I don't know how that's possible, but that was their explanation. Corporal punishment was officially banned in 1968, but the reports of former students um, claim that that didn't happen. They continued after 1968. Investigations in the decades after showed that corporal punishment never stopped. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, hundreds of former students from the 1950s and 60s started speaking up about the abuse that they survived at the school. They were known as the White House Boys. The White House was a separate building on campus that contained segregated cells where much of the physical punishment occurred. The detailed um, that they explained that that's where a lot of the the whipping and the corporal punishment took place. Um, whipping often occurred to the point where they lost consciousness. And um, a few of the reports said that um, some of the boys, they witnessed another boy being locked in a running clothes dryer. As well as... Holy fuck. Yeah, they're pretty sure that that boy died. Yeah. That, I don't yeah. think you could live... Dude, those shits run for yeah. an hour. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know how long it ran for, but that was... Dryer. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. And they mentioned being sexually abused at the location. At this point, their accounts started to gain nationwide attention. Records of the deaths that occurred at the school were often inaccurate or seriously lacking at best. The records for burials were also limited. One investigation showed written records of the school claimed 81 total deaths occurred at the school from 1911 to 1973. Now, I don't know if they just weren't keeping records outside of those dates. I mean, it was an operation for 11 years before those records started. And then for, you know, 74 to 2011, but there weren't any deaths. I don't know. Um, but only See, I just thirty-one think that's of the so late for it to be running. Twenty eleven. I know. Twenty eleven. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, the the rec the written records said that only thirty-one boys of those eighty-one deaths were actually buried on the grounds. It was claimed that the bodies of the other boys were sent to their families or buried somewhere else. However, a different investigation showed there were 98 documented deaths from 1914 to 1973, so few more than what was originally found over a shorter period of time, mind you. There were 31 crosses to indicate the burial of the boys, 
but apparently those crosses didn't correspond to any specific person. So they just appeared to just be like, there were 31 crosses just placed, not like there wasn't a body buried underneath the cross, essentially. And there wasn't a record of like, this cross belongs to this child. So it was like one of those animal shelters that try and get you, guilt you into buying a pet. Where they have I, just a bunch of random know. crosses in the front. Yeah. I've been that's where I got my cat. They had a bunch really? of crosses like <gasps> placed out. Yeah. It was like its own private property uh, fenced in and they had a big yard and like crosses gross. all over the yard. And I was like, Oh that's, I guess I have to buy a cat here. <laughs> that's gross. That's awful. It was so I don't like that. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <Ew. laughs> A forensic team from the University of South Florida conducted a study using ground penetrating radar. They were able to discover 55 graves on the grounds, but since then, um, almost double that in the recorded deaths that they believed, there at least one secondary location of burials. So remember, there's at least... There's around a hundred documented deaths. They were able to find 55 graves in this one cemetery section. They think that there was a secondary cemetery section, but they don't know where it is. And of those 55 graves. Yeah. Those graves are actually located near the African-American students where they were housed. So because it was segregated back in the day, there was a, dormitory for the white students and a dormitory for the african-american students and the cemetery that they found was close to the african-american dormitory so they think there must have been one on the white side of the campus as well but they don't know for sure where it was yeah um only 13 of the burials of those 55 graves only 13 of them were contained inside the cemetery though most were located in the surrounding woods under a, a nearby roadway <clears throat> or under a tree. Less than half of the identified remains have been identified and claimed. The rest remain nameless. So Whoa. one source that I saw found 55, said 55 graves, but I believe that that's been updated and there's closer to like 75 or more that they found. So based on all of that and what, you know, we've heard about paranormal and ghost activity, this location seems prime for hauntings, which is why I looked it up because I was like, Oh, that kind of shit went down there. Okay. Yeah. It's gotta be haunted. And so this is the information I found out about the haunted stuff. So from the decades of physical trauma and abuse, to the horrific deaths suffered by many, to the disrespect shown to the bodies after death, meaning they just, they didn't, they didn't bury them properly and they didn't even recognize and identify where they were buried. It's no wonder that the Dozier School has had many ghost sightings. Many urban explorers and ghost hunters have visited the abandoned school. The structures now are in bad shape with some of the roofs having caved in and weather taking a toll on the buildings. A history of previous students can still be seen in some places where initials have been carved into the walls. Visitors to the campus have reported a lot of paranormal activity at the White House. 
that was where the the brutal a lot of the physical abuse occurred. The White House has been since locked up and is designated a memorial. So you can't get into it. So people that go to see it, it's just a memorial um, for the survivors and to those who passed away at the facility. Um, people have reported intense feelings at the White House, feelings of nausea that comes on suddenly, feelings of fear and danger, as well as feeling like they have been physically pushed or touched by some unseen entity. Other reports include seeing colored orbs and ghostly figures walking the grounds. One of the dorms burned in the early 1900s, killing a couple of guards and several children. This location has been said to have a lot of strange activity. Visitors have reported hearing screams and whispers coming from empty rooms and temperature changes with, you know, the typical cold spot, you know, like everybody says that they feel really cold in a haunted place. So cold spots are known to be around here. Objects moving location without explanation have also been reported at the dorm. A guard once reported before the campus closed that he had a paranormal experience in an empty building. He was patrolling the grounds and heard a child asking for water, but there wasn't supposed to be anyone in the building. The boy was in a locked room, so the guard went to get help from someone who had keys. When they returned and unlocked the door, which was locked from the outside, where the the guard side of the door, the room was empty. So door locked on the guard Wait. side, kid on the inside, they open it up, nobody's there. So it's not like they left and came back and he'd snuck out. Sadly, there are likely more bodies on the grounds that have not been discovered and the souls might be stuck there. Not great. And that is my story, the Florida School for Boys. Yeah, this was a really fucked up episode. Sorry, everyone. Agreed. To the end. My bad. Thank you to everyone who listened to the whole thing. And we're sorry if you need therapy now. But if you skipped it, we totally understand. And, um, you know, we'll try and come back with some better stories soon yes do you have a chaser for us fucked up right i do so this was a study uh conducted recently and it discovered that people who get goosebumps while listening to music have a special mental condition that makes them extremely emotional to certain kinds of stimuli. This con- uh, this condition is known as frisson, F-R-I-S-S-I-O-N, or R-F-I-S-S-O-N, sorry. Yeah, so I don't know if you've had this. I've definitely had this. I get like goosebumps when I listen to certain songs, yeah. It like, yeah, it hits some kind of like weird funny bone in me, like like when you hit your funny bone, how it like overrides your whole body, and you're just like, ooh, yeah. But yeah, some music does that to me sometimes, where I get like this weird like override in my body, and that 
And I get you get goosebumps. Mentally special for it. Yeah. We are. We're definitely mentally special. I notice that um, I do it when it's um, I will get goosebumps when I hear a like a new musical artist or a new song that I haven't heard before. And it like is just so well sung. Like it's just an amazing vocalist or arrangement or whatever. That's when I will get the goosebumps. I agree. I definitely get them a lot, but that's uh, cool. I didn't know no one else had them. I also have yep, astigmatism, I do. and I didn't know people didn't have that either. Oh yeah, I have astigmatism I thought, too. I thought everyone just saw lights as like weird and slanty, but guess not everyone does. Nope. <clears throat> What's yours? Um, I- Chaser mom. Are you ready for my chaser? My chaser um, is an article that I found that there's a new DNA analysis technique and it's developed Mm -hmm. specifically to look at the DNA of cats and cat hair. And the purpose of it is to help in criminal cases because cat hair sticks to everything. And if you either have a cat or you committed a crime and you picked up the cat hair at the location where you committed the crime, they, they have found a way to like amplify the amount of DNA that they can extract from cat hair so that they can tie it more specifically to a specific cat all for the purpose of solving crimes. And I think that is cool. Yes. I need to be careful when I commit crime. I need to. That's right. Decontaminate myself or lose hair. Right. You're going to have to. I'm screwed because I got dog hair and cat, cat hair. hair everywhere. They're yeah. going to for sure link me to something. That's super interesting, though. I wonder how they were able to like decode it. I don't know. Sciencey stuff. You know how I feel about sciencey stuff. <laughs> That's way above my pay grade. Yep. Well, that's just about the end of our podcast. We have an extra that, long one. That today. wraps up this gross, hour. gory, brutal, nasty yeah. story. So, if you made it this far, bravo! And uh, good job. DM us the word vampire, and <laughs> we'll send you some happen, stickers. We'll know you listen. Yeah, we'll send you some stickers. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, we'll send you some stickers. So if you made it to the end, DM us vampire on Instagram or something. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks. Love you, Mom. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. Hey, friends. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Please share our show with your brutal and bizarre friends. Give us a boozy follow on your favorite podcast platform. If you're feeling extra generous, we'd appreciate a five-star rating or review as well. But maybe do that sober so all the letters are in the right place. You can find all our contact information in the show notes. We love hearing from you, and if you're interested in helping us stock the bar for our future boozy episodes, you can find our Patreon link in the show notes as well.